Man, it is great to be here with all of you this morning, man. I love that it's Sunday, right? Sunday, it's our fun day. And we have this opportunity as God's children to come and worship and sing praises to him uh, through song and through his word. Uh, Amen to that church. Man, if you are new with us, you're new here, welcome. Welcome to Vertical Church. We love that you are here with us today. We love that you're joining us. We hope that today is a day that kicks off your week in a God-awesome way. We hope that through singing, through his word, that uh, you experience God in a real and personal way today. We love the fact that you're here. Welcome. My name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's a privilege to serve here with some a group of amazing people. We hope that you have a chance to meet one of those this morning before you get out the door. Uh, this morning, we're stepping into a uh, continuous step in week two of our series, Radical Hospitality. It's a series that we have been crafting to challenge us as a church to think differently about reaching into the world around us with the, the message of hope. Now, our, our mission as our church, our mission as a church, as you can see on the screen, is, is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. More and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of our core values that helps us live out that mission is found people, find people. Amen. Found people, find people. Now, our mission has been given us by Jesus to go make disciples of all nations. Paul, author Paul, many of the books of the New Testament, he writes that this mystery has been revealed just at the right time, which is the gospel message of Jesus. And that this is what we're called to do as a church. And so what we do is we have five core values that when we live these values out, we are living our mission out. So, okay, they're like baby step. I'm going to live this one out. I'm, I'm pushing the mission forward. I'm going to live this one out. I'm pushing the mission forward. And one of the first ones you see is found people, find people. Now, found people are people who, have, who have, have given their lives to Jesus Christ. They were far from God, and Jesus made himself real to them, and they realized that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's found people. In fact, if you go to Luke 15, you see some parables that, that's being uh, shared there by Jesus saying, you know, I was lost and I was found. That's where that comes from. And then what we're called to do is to go find people. Believe it or not, outside these doors are people, right? There's a whole bunch of people. I think in, in Gibson County, there's like 33,000 people, and, there's, and a lot of them who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We're called to find them. Go find out who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Share the gospel with them. Invite them to come be a part of your small group. Invite them to come and be a part of Jesus. Invite them to come to be a part of our church. We're found people find people. That's what we're called to do. And so this series, Radical Hospitality, for us having and living a radical, hospitable lives, helps us live that mission out. It's plain and simple. Radical hospitality is exactly what it means. Radical. That we're willing to go through extreme and drastic measures to reach people for Jesus. Extreme and drastic measures to knock down the walls, remove the barriers to love strangers. And that's what hospitality means, by, by the way. Hospitality simply means show the love to strangers. 
And as I dig into the word, as I have conversations with God, as, as I understand what he wants us to do, like I said, Paul shared the, the mystery that was revealed at the right time and to be shared through the church. You go through all the New Testament, we're called to share this message. Why? Because it's too powerful to keep to ourselves. It's too life-changing to keep to ourselves. Listen, if you're in this room and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, at one point you were lost and you, knew you were found. You were found because someone stepped in your life and shared the greatest message ever given to mankind is that Jesus saves. That without Jesus, you have an eternity separated from God. Without Jesus, your zip code is hell, not heaven. Without Jesus, you are lonely, broken. And someone stepped into your life was bold enough to say, I want to tell you about my Jesus. And you heard it, understood it, and you accepted the truth for yourself. So the message that powerful, that life-changing, that important, we can't let our comfortability or our uncomfortability get in the way of reaching people for Jesus Christ. But as I shared last week, we all have these barriers in our lives from actually living this mission out. Barriers in our lives that are based on society's agenda, like their norm, what they say, how we should live, or who should we accept, or who should we be around, or who, all those kind of things, barriers. Maybe they're barriers that were ingrained in us as kids as we were raised up. Maybe there are barriers because we experienced people that hurt us before, but we all have barriers in our lives that stop us from walking across the room to talk to people who need Jesus. Last week, to kick this whole thing off, I walked through this idea. I, wanted, I threw three truth statements out here, how radical hospitality starts living out in our lives. And I said, it starts on the inside. Radical hospitable lives starts on the inside. It starts right here with us as the church. Because if we won't live it out here with people who are going the same direction of us, we surely won't live it out there with people who are, who are different than us. And I said that we need to be intentional. We need to be highly intentional, have a game plan on Sunday morning to meet someone new, to engage with someone who is stepping into the church, look for that person that we don't know, and start talking to them about Jesus and bring him into the family right here in our own building. And I stretched you last week. I put three minutes on the clock and said, okay, go meet someone new. We did a little bit of that this morning. I saw someone, when that took place, I was out in the hallway, and they walked out the back door. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Get in there. Meet someone new, right? So it, it stretches us. It gets us. It's a little awkward. It's a little uncomfortable. You know, this uh, past week, as I was reflecting back on that, those minutes last Sunday, I got to tell you that I was loving what I was witnessing. I was loving what I was witnessing, that you got out of your seats, out of your rows, out of your sections and cross sides and, and engage with people you don't know. You're being intentional. You're starting it on the inside. And then I started wondering, okay, okay, I wonder if the first service people know the second service people. 
I wonder if all of you who come naturally almost all the time, 100% or 95% to the first service, do you know the people who attend the second service? So I'm going to start thinking, okay, so maybe, maybe if you want to start it on the inside, take that next level, start loving people inside the church, maybe attend a second service. Maybe for, for a month, maybe for two months, I don't know what it is, switch services. Jump to second service and engage with somebody you don't know. I know, I know, I know, I'm messing with your lives. Rich, you don't understand, we got Sunday all figured out. Now you're telling us to change things up. It's just a suggestion, maybe even a challenge. But there's a whole group of people in second service, I'm guessing you don't know who they are. And they love Jesus just as much as you. They're a part of your family. Maybe take the challenge and switch for a month and get to know them. All right, the third one was this. Radical hospitality is completed on the outside. It doesn't stay here. It starts here. This is where we learn. This is where we grow. This is where we do all these things together. But it needs to go outside these walls and hits the streets and the ears of those who are far from God. I threw a really challenging statement that if it, it stays here, we're not the church, we're a social club. We need to get outside these walls and talk to people about Jesus. So today, today we're going to start pressing in. We're going to start pressing. You thought last week was a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Hold on. Um, it's going to a little bit more this morning. I mean, who here, who here has heard the phrase, Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Show me your hands. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Who here, don't raise your hand. Who here has ever tried that? Actually, okay, I, I hate the sinner, but I, I mean, wait. Woo-hoo! I'm going to go start over here. Back. I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. How'd it turn out? See, theologically, it's easy for us to grasp. Theologically, we can understand that we are called by God to just love people. It's practical and tangible. Theologically, we understand that we're not to be embracing this sinful life, that we don't condone and say, okay, what you're doing is absolutely fine, right? We don't just grab all that. Theologically, we can grasp that. But there's a difficult line. There seems to be a difficult line between the moral strain of the life being lived before us, and to truly emphasize and sympathize with their position before God. There's there's a line between it. To go to them and talk to them about where they are and step in and make a kingdom difference. When we have someone like that, it's so much easier for us to turn around and walk the other way. It's so much easier instead of engaging them with the truth to go down another aisle in a grocery store or not to have a loving conversation. It's so much easier. So I want to give you an example. I give you an example, but I want to break it down to us as bring us back to when we were children. I want to bring you back this idea that back when we were kids playing on the playground, we had this idea of cooties. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about when it comes to cooties. All right, all right. See, what we would do, 
On the playground as kids, we'd run around and say, oh, Johnny's got cooties. And we would run away from Johnny. Why? Because Johnny, we didn't want to be near Johnny. We didn't want his cooties. And if Johnny touched us, we had cooties. We're like, no, we can't have cooties. So we ran from Johnny because he's got cooties. And the only way you can stay safe from Johnny's cooties is if you stopped and called safeties. Like you licked your thumb, did your nose and forehead, and went, said, safeties. <laughs> and as you're standing still, and you did safeties, and Johnny came touched you, you're like, ha, ha, I'm protected. Go get somebody else. But as soon as you start running, Johnny could chase you. Who remembers that? Yeah? Pretty much everybody in the room. This is where I'm going with all this, gang. This whole thing, that fine line that I'm talking about, this idea of safeties and cooties and running away from people has to do with this idea of disgust. This idea of disgust. We all have levels of disgust built into our lives. There's just some things in life that we find disgusting. The truth of this, that the level for every one of us is absolutely different. It can be extreme, it can be level one, but we all have something we disgust. Now, disgust means this idea of loathing something. What we find offensive that we don't want to be around, maybe it makes it a little bit nauseous to our stomachs, and that we go the opposite direction. We have this immediate desire to get away from what's in front of us. We all have things in our lives that we disgust, yes? Are you with me on that? Yes? What if I told you that we also have this towards people? There are people in our lives that God has brought across our path that we find repulsive, that we reject. What if I told you that was in our lives, my lives? Now, listen, we wouldn't say this out loud in church. Why? Because we're the church. I mean, come on. We don't want to talk about that out loud, openly say what it is. But we may even share with anybody in our feelings. But there, there's people in our lives that we look at, and we'd rather go out of the direction than actually have a conversation with them about Jesus Christ. Please hear me on this, friends. I'm not tapping a finger on your shoulder trying to make you feel bad. I'm openly admitting that all of us have it, including me. That we have a natural barrier in front of us that stops us from walking across the room and truly reaching out to people, anyone, loving them like Jesus. What I want us to do is very, very simple. Just admit that it's there. Admit that it's there and be honest and take the steps we need to move, do to remove it together as a church to break down the walls that are in front of us, that divide us from the people we're called to reach that need Jesus. Amen? And this morning we're going to open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. You can go up and get there. This morning we're going to look at some scripture that Jesus shares four verses, I believe, that's going to flip this whole thing on its head. 
flip it up, upside down, this idea of disgust. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, and I encourage you right now to open them up to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As we step into the book of Matthew, Jesus was well in his earthly ministry. He was, he was going through doing his thing. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers who walked alongside by Jesus, side by side. He ministered with Jesus. He ate food with Jesus, right? But what's pretty amazing about these verses that we're digging into this morning is that Matthew, the author, is talking about himself. The next four verses that we're digging into, Matthew is revealing his personal call to come follow Jesus, his personal call to follow the Lord. So not only is he writing this as fact, he's also writing this as an eyewitness of how disgust separates people, which was himself, from receiving the love of God, and Jesus steps in the scene and he changes everything. So if you got your Bibles open, let's look at verse 9, at chapter 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. Let's just stop right there. I've always find it absolutely amazing that when Jesus calls his disciples, they stopped what they were doing and they started following him. If you go down to read, you see Peter and Andrew were fishing and they were casting their nets. And Jesus walked up to them and said, hey, follow me. And they jumped out of the boats and started following Jesus. If you continue to dig in, you see that John and his brothers James, they were preparing their nets and they're working with their follow. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. And that's exactly what they did. They stopped what they're doing. They got out of their boat. They just let's leave their job. They left their father, who was in that boat working with them. And now with Matthew, a tax collector, Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. And what does he do? He gets up and follows him. Now, church, too many times we complicate this. Too many times we confuse the message. We, can, we, we complicate the message that Jesus is trying to share with us and we try to rationalize this whole thing out. I guarantee some people in this room right now, Jesus is saying, follow me to you. He's been working in your life. He's been calling you to himself. He's saying, follow me. But you've been too busy trying to figure things out, understand all the things you think you need to understand. You've been rejecting because well, you want to do your own thing. And Jesus is still saying here, follow me. Come to me. I gave my life for you. Brutal death on the cross. I conquered death so you could have life. Simply follow me me and there's others in this room who have given their life to Jesus he's still saying the same thing follow me don't follow the world don't follow society follow me that's obedience called to walk and live like Jesus walked and lived to love people follow me 
Look at verse 10, it goes on, it says, While Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's home, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him, with his disciples. When the Pharisees, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Let's just stop right here again. When we talk about living this radical hospitable lifestyle out, living with radical hospitality just built in everything we do, our first step is understanding that we need to be aware of the lost people around us. You need to be aware of the lost people who are around you. And again, that goes back to Luke chapter 15. I was lost, but I'm not found. People who don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're unbelievers, and they hear the word that they're lost, they're like, oh, that's just mean. No, 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 it's scripture, right? It says that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're wandering in your own path, and you need to be found by the Savior. That's what he's talking about. And we, as a church, need to be aware of those people who are around us. Instead of separating ourselves into our holy huddles, Instead of separating ourselves from the people we're called to reach, we need to recognize their presence. We need to recognize that they're there and they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I guarantee everyone in this room has someone in their life, someone that they know who, don't have, who does not have a relationship with Jesus. They are lost. Instead of reaching out, we would let disgust cross a barrier put in front of us that we won't step across. This is where disgust enters the scene. Look back at the message. Look back at verse 10 again. It says, while Jesus was having dinner with Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why, why does your teachers eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, the Pharisees were, were these people, were the religious elite of their day. Right? They, were, they were the people who knew the Old Testament the best. And they kept strict rules and religious behavior in Jerusalem. They kind of monitored what was going on. And their immediate response when they saw Jesus hanging with who he was hanging with, they simply asked, why is the teacher hanging with those lowlifes? Why is he eating dinner with those pagans? Why is he doing this? If he was truly God and he truly understood who he was with, he would definitely wouldn't be sitting with them. That's what they were questioning this whole thing about. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, you can see the, this idea, the disgust that they had with the Pharisee was standing in a street corner, standing up and, and praying out loud in front of the people. Look what he said. God, this is his prayer, friends. God, thank you that I'm not like the other people. Thank you that I'm not like these robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers, or even like the 
Oh, snap. That's what they thought. Thank you that I'm not like them. Thank you that I'm above them. Think about this for a second, friends. One of the most provocative things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry that many people despised, other than him proclaiming that he was God, was the company that he kept. The Jewish leaders like, come on, you're hanging out with the wrong people. The people who are worthless. And if you were to read the Bible, here we are. Read the Bible. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see the company Jesus kept. And it disgusted the religious leaders of the time. They looked at certain people in society and say, you're a group of people who don't belong. You're a group of people who are, are worthless unacceptable, deemed unworthy. And to be seen with such people is highly offensive to the Jewish leaders. That's disgust. The very people they were called to share God with, they put them down and they put them away. So this morning, I want, to, I want to give you an idea of what these Pharisees were, were thinking and feeling. So this is a two-part illustration. We're going to walk through this together. Right now, I want everybody in this room, and if you're watching online, you too, I want you to be recognizing the saliva in your mouths. Pull it together in your mouth. Go ahead and do it. Join me. It's okay. Got that in their mouth. It's in my mouth. Now I want you to swallow it. Easy, right? That was pretty easy. Had some spit in my mouth and smile like, Rich, what's the big deal? Okay, now I want you to do it again. Pull more saliva together in your mouth. Swish it if you need to between your teeth. I don't know. All right, get it going. Now I want you to grab the cup that's on your chair. You're shaking your heads. Now I want you to grab the cup on your chair. I want you to spit in it. Right there, right there was a level of disgust for some people in this room. They're like, no way, disgusting is impolite, Rich. I mean, uh, spitting is impolite. It's disgusting, right? We don't want to do that. You're like, there's the level, there's the barrier. That's gross, we're not going to take that step, Rich. Okay, those of you who spit in your cup, I want you to drink it. Oh, my word. You have gone and lost your mind. And those of you who did it, yeah, you're just as crazy as I am, all right? All right, so listen, listen, listen. That was disgusting. That was gross. I got the looks all over. Mm -mm 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 -mm. What was the difference? What was the difference? The difference was the physical location of our saliva. It's the same saliva. It's just in a cup. Then you drank it, or you didn't drink it, because you're all grossed out. <laughs> Hold on to that thought. Hold on to those feelings of disgust and how gross that is. Because it's exactly how 
these religious leaders felt about the people that Jesus was trying to reach. We all have that level of disgust. We just need to identify that it's there and ask why. Why am I unwilling to break that barrier down? Pharisees felt this way about the tax collectors who Jesus was having dinner with and he deemed them unworthy and worthless. And we consciously or subconsciously have the same barriers. We treat others the same way. We treat them the same way if they're different than us. We treat them the same way if they live differently than us. They believe differently than us. That disgusts us, and we want no part of it. We won't engage them with the gospel. There's a barrier. Some of them are extreme level levels barriers, and some are level one. And it should be clear here, this is not those who we have deemed less than. We treat all sorts of people the same way at every different level of society. If someone has different beliefs than us, if someone has voted differently than us, they have a different political view than us, if we have more than us financially, we consider them snobs. There's a level of disgust in all of us. And if we really want to make a difference for Jesus, we need to root it out and break it down. Because here's what it is. We need to distrust the disgust. Distrust the disgust. Distrust the inner feeling that we have that's telling us to ignore them who are right in front of us. That's telling us to turn around and go the other direction, to get in another line, to avoid the people in front of us, and don't stop and have a conversation that disgusts us. We need to distrust it. We're not the Pharisees. We're not the religious elites. We're followers of Jesus, called to reach people to become followers of Jesus. And then he says something, Jesus says something that's rather interesting that sets us all straight, including myself. Verse 12, he says, after hearing this, after hearing what the Pharisees said, he said, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. While the Pharisees were all wrapped up in their disgust with those that Jesus was with Jesus, Jesus gets real with them and on the purpose of his coming. I think all of us in this room can clearly understand that the healthy don't need a doctor. Yes? I don't know about the last time with you, but I've never gone, made an appointment to go to the doctor when I was feeling great. I don't just show up and say, hey, doc, what's up? They'll say, what's wrong? Nothing. I just want to see how you're doing. <laughs> I, I was getting low on my co-pays. I didn't need to make sure you got that money. No, we don't do that. That wouldn't make sense. But then Jesus said something that basically punched 
the Pharisees right between the eyes. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What in the world does that mean, Jesus? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees knew what he was talking about. They knew what Jesus was saying. And what he was saying to them, what he just said in front of them, hit them right into the heart in their own personal relationship with God. So the Old Testament priests, this was going back to, used to bring sacrifices to the altar of the temple to have to put it, the people and themselves in a moral right standing before God. Sacrifices for sin, sacrifices for this. If they, they would bring sacrifices to be pure, to be holy before God. That's what they did. And what happened was over the centuries, their relationship with God was reduced down to a bunch of rules living by to obtain and keep such purity status. It wasn't about this relationship with a mighty king. It was about rules and regulations that we needed to keep. This idea of I desire mercy, not sacrifice, comes directly from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. When God was rebuking Israel for their unrepentant hearts. He says, don't come before me with your ritual sacrifices. Don't come before me just playing the game. Come before me with a heart that is ready to be completely turned and surrender to my authority and my calling in your life. God has called his people to be a beacon of hope and a light of darkness from the Israelites to the church. And what the Pharisees were doing was rejecting anything and anyone that they thought would mess up their righteous position before God. And so it was reaching out and telling the people about this all-loving, all-powerful God who redeems people, who's rescued peoples, and showing them mercy. They shunned them, they reject them, they publicly put them down. And so as Jesus was having this meal, and he's hearing this going on, he's, he's looking at them in the face and saying, you've missed it. You've missed the reason that I've come. Mercy is what I'm looking for. Mercy is what you've received from God, and you should be pouring it out to others. And there's that last statement, I have not come to call the righteous, but those who are in right standing with God, but those who are dead and separated from God in their sin, that is an image that we all are to follow. Distrust the disgust. I wonder if anyone in this room has experienced that disgust in their lives. Not that you put on someone else, but someone did it to you. And how did that affect you deeply? How did it affect you to responding to other people around you? That they feel rejected, that feel unwanted, that feel unworthy. How did it impact you? You know, I've, exp I've experienced both sides of this. I've shared the story in my past about when there's a 16-year-old boy who went to visit a, a girl they thought was cute, and the mother just shunned me right there at the door. Would not even let me in the house. 
told me to go home because I didn't look like them, I didn't act like them, I didn't go to church like them. But I've also experienced the love of a stranger. I've all experienced this love as a stranger. Back when I started dating Stephanie, I'm not sure if I shared this or not, so if I did, it's just a repeat. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I scared the thunder out of her family. I, I scared them. See, her sister's words, her sister's words were exactly this. I'm going to get a quote. It looked like I just walked off the cell block. Back then, I was younger. I was much bigger, lifting weights. This is what happens when you get older. Um, Right? I had a shaved head, big razor head. I had golden hoops in my ears. People said, you look like Mr. Clean. And she said, all I needed was my cell number tattooed on the side of my head. And she said, you looked like you just walked right out of prison. You looked angry. You looked mean. You looked like no one else wanted to be around you. And that scared us. And she wrestled with this disgust. As you can imagine, after she met me, she immediately started praying for her sister differently. But while she was praying, God revealed to her that she needed to love me. And her response to God was like, him? God, have you seen him? And you want me to love him? That's exactly what they did. She went to her husband, Dan, and said, Dan, Dan, you're not going to believe what God asked me to do. This is what we need to do. We need to love rich. He's like, what? We need to love rich. Stephanie loves him. We need to love him. We need to figure it out. We need to bring him towards Jesus. And that's what they did. They brought me into their fold. They invited me over for dinner. They asked me to come to Christmas breakfast. It was a sacred event for the Crispell family. It's like 60 some people. Like, Rich, we want you to come. I'm like, oh no. And out of the results of their love to me, distrusting disgust of where I was, who I was, how I lived. They took this lost guy and brewed something amazing inside of me. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it changed my life forever. Friends, that was 22 years ago. Do you see the difference? What they did for me, what Jesus said to the Pharisees is exactly what we are to do for those who God brings before us. It's not going to be easy. I just had a conversation with our oldest son, Isaac, and I, I cautioned about sharing stories about things like this, but he was, um, I was just talking the other day. FaceTiming while I was waiting in the car. He's dad, please pray for this guy named Tim. I'm like, who's Tim? He goes, he's the homeless man that I sat and talked with the other day. 
I said, you sat and talked with the homeless man? He goes, yeah, we're talking with him, and he is homeless. He's been homeless because he's trying to break free from drugs. And his wife says no. And so he left so he can break free from what's holding him back. And we're sitting there, Dad, I'm having talk about He goes, I think he used to go to worship. I think, I think he was part of worship at some point in his life. But the church rejected him. He got hurt because what was going on in his life. Dad, please pray. As we're talking, he asked me if he can come to church with me on Sunday. So this morning, right about now, our son is picking, with his roommates, are picking up this homeless man and bringing him to church. Friends, that's, that's radical hospitality. That's the love of Jesus. And I counted that with a story where, where me were coming home from Florida the other week, and I took some wrong turns, and I don't know where I was, and GPS was like, you have done everything wrong in the last five minutes. Right? And I'm going around making some worldly turns, and I, I see a homeless man. And I couldn't stop because I would have 15, 20 car pile up. But I'm looking at him like, oh man, that stinks. And I looked, and this guy had piercing blue eyes. I'm like, what if that was Jesus? What if that was an angel? And I missed it. But my son nailed it. See, we all have those barriers. We need to break them down. Listen to the difference. Disgust takes people who have their humanity in common and focuses on their differences, ultimately turning it into rejection and hatred. Radical hospitality looks straight at the soul of a person and their position before God, willing to go extreme measures to crush the internal barriers to love people to Jesus. Which do you think that God or Jesus would have us live? Disgust or radical hospitality? Tell me, church. Then go make it so. Go make it so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for blessing us so much through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I, I thank you that Jesus makes it very, very clear. that there's something inside that needs to go away because we have been called to reach people who are far from you. There's a level of humanity that pushes others away that are not like us, that disgusts us. Different beliefs, different dress, different age, different in affluence style. I have no idea, but God, but you do. Help us, Lord. Help us be a church who shows mercy, not sacrifice. 
Help us walk across the room. Help us stop and have a conversation. Help us be bold enough and courageous enough to share Jesus Christ. The same message of hope that we received ourselves as your children. Right now I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And I shared in the earlier in the beginning of this message that, that simply following Jesus is what we're called to do. And if you're in this room, and maybe today's the day that you start following Jesus, that you're in this room realizing that you're a sinner and you need to say that you were lost, man, it's time to be found. I want to encourage you to come forward after I say Amen. Come forward and surrender your life to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to the one who loves you the most. And maybe you're in this room and following me was a challenge for you because you have been not following him. You have things in your life that you're struggling with, things in your life that are barriers, things in the life that you just want to get rid of, but you're like, hey, I just need the church to help me walk through this. Come forward. Man, we are a body. When one person suffers, we all suffer. So we want to step into your world, to your life, and to lift you up to Jesus Christ. We want to pray with you to walk through whatever you're dealing with in life. And Father, I pray that as we walk out these doors, And each and every person receives invite cards that we will drop a barrier down and invite someone to church. That simple. Step one, help us, strengthen us, encourage us. to live like Jesus, to follow his example. And in his name I pray, amen, amen. God bless church, have an amazing week.